Good morning. If you don't know, this uh, today, uh, next Sunday, the October 18th, will be our last uh, opportunity to meet outside. Um, so if you haven't been able to be a part of this, if you're watching online, you think, yeah, well, maybe I should go. Uh, I certainly would encourage you, weather permitting, uh, to join us next Sunday. And uh, the fellowship has been good, the worship has been wonderful, and as we've said already, it reminds us of what our mission is. And then the methods are going to look different, but the mission of the Lord's Church continues. This morning we are in uh, lesson number two of a three-part series that I'm calling No Matter What. And these are the things that we are to be, these are the things we are to do, no matter what. And as we think about the things that we are and the things that we do, no matter what, uh, there is a succinct summary in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Last week we talked about rejoicing always. And this morning we're talking about praying continually and how we do that and what that means. So... I'm going to give you, since we're talking about prayer, if uh, I know we don't have a, the typical outline and all of that, but if you're a person who likes to take, note, take notes, just simply write the word pray, okay? P-R-A-Y is going to help us as we go through our lesson this morning. As we think about prayer, sometimes we forget why we pray. What is the point of prayer? And my answer to that, in why do we pray, the answer is simply one word, pursuit. Okay, that's letter P, okay? We, we do it in pursuit of God. Not in what God can give us, okay? Not in what God can do for us, but in pursuit of God. Every person through the Old Testament and the New, whether they were a major character or a minor character, every person in the church today... If you pray, the reason for your prayer should be first and foremost the pursuit of God. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 11, we're told to seek the Lord and His strength, seek His presence continually. I like that. I, I like the idea of, as we think about prayer, we're really seeking the presence, of course, God's everywhere, but we're seeking to be present in the presence of God. You should know that prayer isn't magical or mystical. And I, I mention this because sometimes you will see God-fearing, Jesus-following people say something to the effect of, I would appreciate your prayers or your good thoughts or your good vibes and, and I don't, that always makes me uncomfortable because it kind of lumps in prayer uh, with this new age-y kind of idea that somehow within myself I can pulsate into the universe some sort of magical, mystical power, that the power lies within me. And certainly if you understand prayer, you understand that is not what prayer is all about. In fact, I'll, I'll go so far to say prayer itself doesn't work. Prayer itself doesn't work. Now you say, whoa, whoa hold on. Say, I'm not sure I agree with that. Well, let me finish the thought here. Prayer itself doesn't work. God works. 
And prayer is our connection, our pursuit of the God who works. Prayer works because God works. Prayer does not work because you're righteous enough, holy enough, perfect enough, because you have this mystical power to beam thoughts into the universe and change the course of events. Prayer works because God works. And so when James tells us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, and he gives us the example of Elijah, we understand, of course, it was Elijah pursuing in prayer God that changed the course of the events of his life. Prayer changed the, the nature of things. But that happened not because of Elijah's power, but because of God's power. And we need to make sure we understand that. Prayer is the best way to really know that you are in personal pursuit of a holy, divine Father God. Prayer is the best way to measure that. And Jesus, when, when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he's instructed about prayer. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, he says this, When you pray, notice he didn't say if you pray, he said when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's interesting. I know there are some people who have dedicated prayer closets, and that's fine. Uh, I'm not saying he's forcing that command. What he's saying here is <laughs> prayer counts when no one else is noticing. When, when it's just you and God. I'll ask you a personal question. How often, as you reflect over the week you've just had, did you personally, privately pray to God in pursuit of God. When I ask myself that question, it's very convicting. I have to work to be better about that, to remember that prayer is not just about getting something from God. It's about the, the, the goal of getting God himself. The prophet Jeremiah said, when Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You remember when you sought someone with all of your heart? I only have really one story that fits here. But over 20 years ago, I remember when a young lady walked into a youth group classroom, and I was just captivated by her. And when I began to pursue Christy Smith, I did that with all my heart. I, I sought ways to get her to notice me. Um, of course, I had the rugged good looks going for me already, the, the, the physique and all of that, so... But, but I sought opportunities to engage in conversation with her, whether it was silly or serious. I sought opportunities to be in her presence. That's a human example. We all understand that. Perhaps you have one of a time when you sought someone with all of your heart. Prayer is that time when we seek God with all of our heart, not because anybody else is watching, not because anybody else is listening, but because you, in your soul, desire the Lord. And you want a personal 
relationship to and a connection with him. And the Lord says you will, you will find that when you seek him with all of your heart. Why don't we pray? There might be a lot of answers to that. I, I think it really comes down to one. Maybe two. Sin and selfishness. Like the disciples, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We yield to ourself. We yield to our desires. You think about when this morning, when you woke up this morning, and God knew the instant that you woke up from being asleep to being present to being awake, for some of you, that took a few cups of coffee to get there. But, but he knew the moment that you were awake. You know what God wanted in that moment? A relationship, a connection to you. You, who he created in your mother's womb. You, who he knit together molecule by molecule. You, who he knows better than you have ever been known or ever will be known. God, in that moment, wanted a relationship with you. Now, my question is, did you... The moment that you became aware, did you want that relationship with him? Was that the first thing you thought of? Or did you pick up your phone? Or did you, did you go make yourself breakfast? Or did, you know, did, the first thing you thought of was yourself. And, and it's hard to break away from that. We are creatures of the flesh. But that's what inhibits our ability to pray, is ourselves. In the Jewish culture... They had many different postures of prayer. We see this in the Bible, whether people were kneeling or laying prostrate or they were, uh, one particular posture was holding their hands up. Jewish men would pray with their, with their hands up. And I was studying that a little bit. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Paul told the apostle, <laughs> the apostle Paul told Timothy, I desire that in every place men should pray lifting holy hands without quarrel or anger. When you, when you understand the idea of reaching up, hands up, it is in, of course, pointing toward the Lord, but hands open, not hands closed. And it reminds me of something that, that my children did when they were young, and probably yours did as well. I don't know exactly the age, but somewhere about after the time that they learned to walk, uh, but they weren't, you know, they, and they were kind of toddling around. Uh, both of my children would do this. When they, um, when I would get home, they would hear the garage door open. Uh, they would hear Dad close the car door and, and walk up the stairs into the garage, open the door, and... When I did that, even at a very young age, they, they took those uh, clues that Dad was here. And I can remember very specifically both Tyler and Grace when they were young, and they were old enough to walk but not old enough to converse. They would excitedly run. You'd hear their little feet stomping. And as I would come in the door, they would come to me and they would greet me and they would do this. Da? Da? And that reminded me that I knew what they meant in that moment. They, wa they wanted to be with me. They wanted to see their dad. That's a human level of understanding. But 
that to illustrate the, the point that prayer, whatever the posture is, and it doesn't always have to be hands up, it can be hands folded, it can be uh, bowing, it can be kneeling, whatever the posture is, what, what is of more importance than the posture of the body is the posture of the soul. And, and that's the, the second part of when we talk about prayer is the question of how do we pray. And the answer of how do we pray is the, the word reverently. Reverently. We pray in reverence to a holy God through the name of Jesus and by the aid of the Holy Spirit, the book of Romans tells us. Reverence has to do not with your attire, uh, not with your uh, knowledge of theological words and phrases, not with your ability to wow a listening audience. Reverence has to do with your humility towards and dependence upon God. If we go to Scripture for an example, and I hope you're following along, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 18, Jesus gives an example of two men who prayed, one reverently and one irreverently. Luke chapter 18, we're starting verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness... And looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee. The other a tax collector. Now, just so you know, the Pharisee would have known this book. I mean, he certainly would have known the Old Testament, okay? He would have known the law and the prophets. He would have had them committed to memory. He would have spent much of his time studying the law, debating the law, applying the law. Uh, The way that he dressed was designed to be an outward show of how righteous he was. He talked about the righteousness that Romans is talking about. Pharisees believed that they could achieve that by their own means. They were confident in it. They They weren't confident in God. They weren't humble toward God as is evidenced by the prayer of the Pharisee. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. Now, when you, when you drill down into his prayer, it's very obvious that the Pharisee was confident in himself. He didn't need God. In fact, he was praying to God to thank God for himself. For all of the good that he had done. For all of the evil that he had avoided. But Jesus goes on to say the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But beat his breast And said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. How do you pray is not of great concern in the terms of the posture of your physical body but the posture of the heart means everything in the world 
I was teaching my little children to pray. We still pray at bedtime. And as they were learning to pray, oftentimes they would hear me pray, and sometimes I would ask them to pray, and I would hear them say things that I knew that they had just were saying because they heard Dad say them. And so I would gently instruct them that there are two things that we should do when we pray. The first is to be reverent. To remember that prayer is a time when we humble ourselves. The the, the tax collector was humble. He wouldn't even look up. He beat himself to show how ashamed he was of himself. So be reverence. Be reverent toward the Lord. And in holy reverence, approach a holy God. And then be sincere, meaning use your own words, speak your own language. I remember when I was a teenager, and this was all very new to me. I hadn't been taught to pray. I I didn't, I mean, it it was just, it was like learning a different language. And I remember going to church and hearing uh, men speak so eloquently and and in King James English, and, and I was very intimidated by that in a public setting. And nothing wrong with that. I was just intimidated by, by that because I that was that was just so foreign. And then I heard uh, the late wonderful Huey Jennings and he got up to pray and in a way that you could knew that this was Huey praying, he would say in that southern accent, All right y'all, let's do some praying. And that was the same Huey you would hear at Sam's Monday through Saturday. It was the same voice. He was being just as reverent, but he was being sincere. He wasn't trying to be someone else. You don't have to put on false pretenses with God. You do have to be reverent toward God, but but God knows who you are. And he knew who the tax collector was. And Jesus calls us to be reverent like the tax collector. Not to repeat the tax collector's sins, but to understand that when we pray, it has to do with an attitude of the heart. Jesus said, going on to instruct about prayer, he said, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, or they think they will be heard for their many words. Sometimes it's better to speak simply. To pursue him... To do so reverently requires that we lay down ourselves. Now James is going to talk about prayer in chapter 5, but before he gets there, in chapter 4 verse 8, he describes this reverent attitude. He says, James chapter 4 verse 8, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Does this mean we have to be perfect when we come to God in prayer? No, no. This, this means simply, don't pray to God in one sentence and live out then the rest of your day in complete defiance to God. May your words and your actions line up. May you 
wash your hands. May you purify your hearts. May you live a single-minded life. And that is reverence not just during the prayer but after the prayer. All right, number three, when do we pray? When do we pray? The letter A, always. The scripture reminds us that we should be always praying. And that seems very foreign. Sometimes we will receive a question on Know Your Bible about something like this. People say, well, how do you pray continually? One translation says, pray without ceasing. Well, what's the practical side of that? Because as we think of prayer, I mean, this is often how we think of prayer. How do we do that continually? This posture, which is nothing wrong with bowing your head and closing your eyes, but this posture isn't real practical while you're driving. I mean, I don't know. I see some people <laughs> driving that, that way these days, but I hope that you don't. But you understand that praying continually, praying constantly, reminds us that prayer is a continual conversation between creator and created. My simple example of this, maybe some of you have someone that you're very close to, perhaps a mom or dad, and you can just, it's an ongoing conversation. I mean, we have devices full of ongoing conversations, don't we? I can open up a thread to my wife and, and engage in the ongoing conversation with her. Uh, some people, you, you, still, you still actually talk on these devices. And you, you pick it up and you call someone, a best friend, a mom, a sister. And, and you just, I mean, you don't even go through the pleasantries of hello. I mean, it's, it's, just, just, it's an ongoing conversation. Do you understand that? We, we get that. Well, may our prayer lives be an ongoing conversation that we continually engage with. Relationships, every relationship needs communication. If you have a relationship that has no communication, that is a facade. That's not a relationship. If you have a relationship that only communicates when one party needs something from the other, that's a toxic relationship. Relationships are designed to be a two-way conversation. And so may we engage constantly in the conversation. Jesus' example of this, of course, was clear. Mark chapter 1 tells us, Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Why did Jesus do that? It's a little challenging for me to fully understand myself, but in some way, when Jesus became incarnate, when, he's, when the Word became flesh... He, his ongoing conversation with the Father that had been an eternal one, now he had to pursue like people of the flesh have to pursue. And he, like you and I, had distractions, had people in his life who wanted things from him, had concerns of the day and of the week and of the weeks to come. And so Jesus, knowing that he needed the relationship with his Father to continue 
got up while it was still dark before anyone else, went to a lonely place where no one could find him except one who knew where he was the moment he opened his eyes. I love that picture of Jesus. May we seek that example in our own prayer lives. Luke tells us this story now. Even more, but now even more, the report about him, Jesus, went abroad, and great crowds were gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. And see, Jesus had lots of people in his life who wanted to hear him teach. Jesus had lots of people in his life who needed a miracle from him. But Jesus had one person, one need, one relationship in his life that came above all others, his relationship to his father. And Luke continues, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. If I ask you how often you prayed and you gave an honest answer and you were ashamed by that answer, I would ask you, why didn't you pray? And you and I, many of us, could answer, well, I'm too busy. I'm really too busy. It's not that I mean anything malicious. I just, you know, I'm up and the kids are up. We've got to get them to school. We've got to get Zoom turned on. We've got to, I've got to work now from home, and it's all different, and it's very challenging. I've got all these things, and, and you just don't understand, preacher. I mean, it's easy for you, but... But prayer is hard. I'm a busy person. People need me. And, and I hear that. I've, I've made the same excuse. But may I gently say, you don't pray for one reason. If you don't. If you don't pray, it's for one reason. And that's because it's not a priority. That the relationship with God, the pursuit of God, is not a priority. You're, you're not too busy. You're too focused on yourself. Now, I, I don't say that to just completely judge you. I've been very much in the same position. But truth be told, Jesus was a busy guy. Jesus probably was busier than all of you and I. And in the midst of a three-year time span that he had to launch a ministry and change the world and get the church started, he had all of the excuses and the reasons for not. He could have said, you know, God, I, you and I are good. I'm going to put that relationship on hold for three years. But what happens is you look into the ministry and the, the, uh, the gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry, what you see is the busier he gets, the more often he withdraws. And that's going to be my challenge. If you're too busy, then you need to withdraw. You need to withdraw from yourself. You need to get up at a time when no one else is up. You need to find a quiet, private, desolate place and pray. The scripture says, Ephesians 6.18, Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. 
praying at all times in the Spirit. Colossians chapter 4 says, continue steadfastly in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, as we said, says, pray without ceasing. Don't let your relationship with God be a dysfunctional one. That it's only a facade, that you only pray to Him when other people are listening, or you only pray to Him when you need something from Him. You wouldn't be friends with a person like that, or I, I hope that you wouldn't. Now, God's still friends with you because He loves you and His grace is immeasurable. But I would admonish you as your preacher, don't treat the Lord of heaven and earth like that. Seek Him in constant, continual, steadfast relationship. Here's something you can try, a little practical tip. Often I would find myself in a message or in person saying, you know, talking to someone about their life, about what they're going through, about what uh, challenges they're facing and so forth. And, and somewhere in that conversation, I would say, you know what, I'll, I'll pray for you. And I meant well, I intended to, but then I would go off and forget to pray for him. And I, I'd see that person again, oh, I never did pray for him. I told him I would. I want to challenge you, when you are having a conversation, connection with someone, whether it's online or in person, I want to challenge you, when you feel prompted to say, ah, I'm going to be praying for you, maybe instead of doing that, you could actually just say, may I pray with you? Or if the conversation doesn't lead to prayer, you can say, how can I pray for you? And this is the Justin Abraham example, which is wonderful. You're talking with Justin about life, and, and you know the question is coming. I mean, if you've had a conversation with Justin, you know he's going to get to it. Why? Because Justin is steadfast in prayer. And he'll ask, how can I pray for you? And you'll, you'll tell him how you can pray. And then instead of saying, I'll put that on my prayer list, which he'll, he'll just stop and he'll say, how about we pray together? That's wonderful. It's a wonderful example. May we bring all of our cares and worries and concerns before him. Number four, how, uh, what do we pray for? What do we pray for? The word why, the word beginning with why is yielding, yielding. You and I have many needs when we pray. We have physical needs. We have spiritual needs. I was thinking about all of the different things we've had the opportunity to pray for this week. Lots of things. And, and we have many opportunities, ministries devoted to prayer. I saw the Millers coming in this morning, and Kylie was in the truck working on some papers. And I said, what you working on there, Kylie? And she said, I have a homework assignment. Last week you talked about joy. And so I went to my prayer pal, and I said, let's make a list of all the reasons we have to be joyful. You do it, I'll do it. We'll come back this week and share that list together. I love that. We have prayer pal ministries. <laughs> we have a group that of ladies that has invited to come into the fireside room and pray together for our church, for our country, for our leaders, and they do so faithfully. There are so many examples of ministries of prayer but in all of those opportunities to pray, here's the one thing that we're doing. We are learning to yield our will to God's. We are learning to trust that His will exceeds our will. 
Someone said that prayer is not about changing God's mind. It is about allowing God to change our mind. Of course, Jesus' example, always perfect. Luke chapter 22, he's praying in the garden. He knows the cross is coming shortly. He pours out his his heart to his father. He says, Father, and this is key, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. He yielded himself fully to the Father's will. Nevertheless, he says, not my will, but yours be done. May we pray in such a way. May we pray, not my will, but yours be done. In the model prayer, when Jesus spoke about what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer, I think it's more aptly called the Disciples' Prayer, He said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That perfect prayer isn't just a something that's to be rotely memorized and said without meaning. That's not the point. Jesus was saying, when you pray, yield your will to God's. May we do that. When you think about heaven, I assume all of you here want to go there. I do as well. What about heaven makes us want to go there? And we've got songs about mansions and hilltops and all of that. I'm not sure that's what makes heaven great. Uh, We think about the people who've gone on before, and we hope that we'll have the opportunity to see them again, and what a wonderful reunion that will be. People who've been a part of this congregation who have gone on to their reward, and we look forward to that. But but as good as that is, I don't think that's what's going to make heaven as great as it is. What makes heaven great is the permanent presence of God with us. Heaven is perfect because God is perfect. And because in heaven, every will is yielded to God 100%. And so the best way to have heaven on earth is to engage in your prayer life and yield your will to God's. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A people who pray do so, one, for the pursuit of Almighty God. Number two, a people pursuing God do so reverently. A people pursuing God reverently seek to do so all the time, engaging in a constant conversation. And every time they pray and every time we pray, we pray not to have God yield to our will, but we pray that we might yield our will to His. And the Apostle Paul says, when you do that, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Four years ago, 
uh, we had an election. Maybe you remember that. It was, like today, a very unifying time in our country. People were all in one accord. There was much peace throughout the land. And in the middle of that, as I prepared a sermon to focus us on things above and not on things below, it seemed appropriate that in such a divided time, the church of the Lord's people would come together and pray. And so I asked the elders at that time if they would lead us that Sunday night in a time of prayer, prayer service, specifically for our leaders, for our nation, for our country. And Northside has had many prayer services for many different reasons. This stood out in my mind. Uh, I'll never forget it. The reason I don't forget it is because not of what was prayed for as we gathered, but after the prayer service was over, I said goodbye to most of the people and I headed out. My truck was parked here on the edge of the parking lot. And I got into my truck. And all of a sudden, I felt my truck begin to shake. It was a small earthquake. But it reminded me of a story in Acts chapter 4. A story of a, a church living in divided times. A church that was being very much persecuted. And a church that didn't yield to the will of man, but yielded themselves fully to the will of God. And the scripture tells us, this is verse 31, And when they prayed, the place where they were gathered, the place in which they were gathered together, was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. May we pray, may we pray to God, may we pray reverently, may we pray always, and may we pray yielding our will to His. And in doing such, may that prayer not just give us peace, but may it make us a bold church that shakes up the world in which we live. You and I have been given a precious gift in the gift of prayer, not to achieve our will, but to achieve His. May we not take that gift lightly. This morning, you need to know that being in relationship with God can only happen in Christ. And the only way to be in Christ is in the waters of baptism. To begin that journey, Jesus said you had to believe and be baptized. If you are ready to do that this morning, I'll be standing here off to the side. And you want to make that decision, uh, just come up and talk to me and we'll help you.